So, all right. So I think we're, so I just started recording and uh, I think we're back. This is episode 21 now. Today, oh, wow. I'm today I'm joined by, uh, I'm going to keep it German, Professor <laughs> Dr. Ava Harth. <laughs> the, the, you are German, right? German or? Yes. Okay. German, yes. Where were you born in Germany? In Cologne. So like, I mean, oh. a little bit outside of Cologne. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's on the that's on the west side of Germany, right? It's a couple mm-hmm. hours yeah. south of Düsseldorf. Düsseldorf. It, um, it is actually north of um. Well, yeah, yes, it is north of Düsseldorf. Mm. So it is um actually very close to the um, Belgium and Netherlands border. Mm. So you can just travel very easily to a different country, and these are just very very good countries to visit. Yeah, know? yeah. It is it is a really interesting area, and the Romans have been there for a long time. So you find um, all these old villas, and so it, it has a very uh, nice tradition in in trade. So like it is a uh, um, and and of course you have this big dome, you know, this beautiful dome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. I took oh, uh, wow. this is I, yeah, I took it in high school, and oh, then wow. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah. but they didn't offer German in my like undergrad, so I stopped taking it. But mm-hmm. I got back into. Like are you familiar with Duolingo, like the app where you like learn a second language? Yes. I started taking German again, and I like I don't oh, know. I wonderful. I really enjoy it. They're my they're my team to win the World Cup this year. So I don't know if you're paying attention to that. <laughs> they're they're my team to yes. win. And uh, very good. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the German language is, is really an interesting language. I think when I would not have been born into it, I don't. I think I would have had a hard time to learn it mm. because you have these capital letters in it. You have all this grammar. Um, but you can, I think you can express things very accurately with with German. You know, I think it's a it's a it's a very interesting language. Yeah, yeah. there there is yeah. like a yeah. word for everything, and the mm-hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to say though because English is so abs it's such an abstract language that it, mm-hmm. I think German is really easy to learn. Honestly, yes, yeah, but yeah, so. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, strong language, though. I I, I mm-hmm. talked to my friends. It's like it's not like the language of love. It's like very uh. It's very... Actually, I have to say that the romantic movement in the literature was actually started in Germany. Nobody really? Believed, yes. Nobody believed me. So like the romanticism, and so like this is a, a very uh, strong um, direction in in literature, and it has been um it it was started in in Germany. Yeah. That, that's nobody, no nobody believed that. But yeah. It, Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that, but that that makes sense, yeah. especially like a like a lot of the old like religions, like mm-hmm. post. They talk about like post Germanic era, like G- G- Germanic yeah. language. Like, oh, yeah, that's exactly a Germanic yeah. language is like mm-hmm. are like one of the first languages, right? So that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. But anyway, so but okay. today we're we're gonna talk about uh, polymers, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of definitely we discussed a little bit of this beforehand, but. Talk a little bit about yourself. I know because, like, what is it? How did you originally get into uh, chemistry? Because I know you uh, did your. Hang on one second. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, you did your. You went to University of Bonn, right? And yes. uh, University yeah. of Zurich was your PhD. Mm-hmm. So, how did you? What, what was your path to get into you know po- uh, chemistry in general? But then, why like polymer chemistry, and how did that set itself apart from? You know, how did you get into that kind of thing? Yeah. So, like. Um... In um, Europe, in Germany, you have to decide after your high school degree directly uh, what you want to become. Like it's it's not that you can do a bachelor and then uh, decide what you you know you want to uh, go for a um, you know you want you want to become a doctor. You have to immediately um, go into that uh, specific 
um, basically into graduate school, sort of. Mm. So and um, so and I've always wanted to become actually a surgeon. And so, like, I did not get into medical school. So, like, I I wanted to become really a surgeon. This was my 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 decision. So mm. and um so I I got into this interview, but I did not make it to medical school, and I was a little bit crushed by this. And then um and then um uh, actually my 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 parents just talked to me a lot. And then I always said I like to work with my hands, and um it has to be something experimental. And then my my father actually suggested, why don't you you study chemistry? And I'm like, chemistry? I mean, chemistry. I mean, I did not even have chemistry in high school, so it was like wow. something. Um, yeah, we had this. Uh, our our uh, chemistry teacher was always sick, or like uh, it was basically not taught, and it was not my favorite subject at all. <clears throat> and then I just started uh, studying it because I always thought, okay, maybe. I can transition over and, and study medicine again, you know, like because uh, there there were a lot of people who started, um, you know, um, chem on chemistry or pharmaceuticals and transitioned later over into in, in, into the medical field. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, uh, started it, and actually I um, I enjoyed it. Or like I mean, it was it was um, not easy to um, to just start from nothing. But what I really enjoyed was that you can make things, I mean, like you can. Um, prepare materials and it is novel and of course it is um, I mean when, when you study chemistry, chemistry or like when you start uh, any subject you want to do well you know like you are very yeah. focused on your classes and you are not really thinking very deeply okay uh, what can I do with this later but I, I I noticed that I really enjoy doing it and I never thought or like I did not have thought again to go into the medical field again because I started also to work in hospitals and I realized that the suffering of people would be too much for me. You know, I mm. cannot handle this very well. And then I thought, okay, um, chemistry has so many applications. I mean, you can develop drug molecules. You can, um, you know, you can do many different things, and it has many different different applications. So and yeah. I. Um, so I started in Bonn, and this is, of course, in, in Europe, you have always public universities. These are not private. And um, and in this year, you have always what we call the pick cycles. You know, there were lots of students who wanted to study chemistry, and they had to wait for practical. So, like, we have, like, a, um, a um, yeah, so it's very uh, practically, experimentally oriented. So you have a lot of, like, all day long is, like, uh, labs, and then you have to do, of course, the lectures. But it is, um, it is like what we have for the undergraduates. We have basically for the entire um, um, study of chem of chemistry. And then I had to wait so long. And then I um, met um, a friend of mine, and he said my brother studies in Zurich. Mm. And then so the bitches in Switzerland. So and then I thought, okay, maybe I just stop studying in in Bonn, and then I go to uh, Zurich. So I finished in Bonn and did my bachelor degree, and then I. Transition to the University of Zurich, and um, since this is Switzerland, they have other requirements. So I have to, I had to repeat uh, um, some classes, mm -hmm. um, and this is where I did my masters. And um, I did my masters, so you have to do a, a thesis before you can even start a PhD. So like our, our, um, we always have a master. So like it's not like in the US, it's a little bit differently structured. Actually. So you have to go for the masters before the PhD mm -hmm. yes, in Germany. Yes. Or yes, okay, uh, I mean, it was, yeah, it, it, I think it's still in, in higher Europe, this is like this, you do a master. Mm. I mean, and, 
I think in Britain not, but in um, you know in, in France and in um, in Germany, so like in Europe. So and I did my um, masters on sugar chemistry. So like there was okay. um, uh, Professor Vasella, and she transitioned later to the ETH. And sugar chemistry is really, I mean, this is uh, what this is organic chemistry, of mm. course. And um, um, what you do is usually it is centered around what kind of carbohydrate you have, and then also the the protection group. You know, like you have always mm. a protection group. You want to do as, as something at the anomeric center, which is very uh, it's differently in the reactivity, and this is how you can connect different sugar molecules together. Mm -hmm. And so you make a reaction, you purify, and then you get rid of the protection groups again. And during that time, um, fullerenes became extremely, uh, it became the, uh, it was the a big hype. I mean, it was the C60 molecule and everybody thought, oh my God, this will become the new benzene. And everybody <coughs> was very excited. And um, so I so I started the collaboration, of course, driven by my, by my mentor, um, and this was with uh, with uh, uh, Francois Diederich, and he was at the ETH as well, and he um, uh, he did a lot of fullerene chemistry at that time. And then we thought, okay, we attach a sugar molecule to fullerene and see if um, because fullerene is very hydrophobic, it's like all carbon, and then sugar is very polar. Maybe we can bring it onto surfaces or. You know what kind of properties will it have? Now, so just real quick, that. real quick. So, fullerene is a spherical, like carbon yes. mm -hmm. thing. Okay, yes. so it's yeah. a it's a yes. ball. It's a basically a ball mm -hmm. of carbon. Yes, it is an. Uh, it's it's actually uh, an aromatic um, mm -hmm. structure. Okay. So it's like all conjugated. So what you can do is like you can um, attach. Um, you know, like uh, you you can make uh, use other chemistry with it. So like it it reacts like in yeah like a conjugated aromatic system. Yeah. Um, and and for, I, for those that like don't understand chemistry, aromaticity mm -hmm. and conjugation just means that the electron cloud is kind of um, fluid. Like the electrons can yes. kind of move yes. throughout. If you can mm -hmm. think about spherical, it's able to move throughout the system. Yes. Um, that's what, you know, conjugation and aromaticity kind of mm -hmm. get at. But mm -hmm. also too, just for other people to understand, Fullerene is because it's made of carbon and hydrogen, it's very hydrophobic. So mm -hmm. it's not soluble. It does not mix well with things like water or like yes. alcohols. Mm -hmm. Like they will not yes. mix together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it'll, yeah. But yeah, if you is, yeah. put the sugar molecules on it, I guess then you get more solubility. I guess that's yeah. one. Mm -hmm. So, like we could make a Langmuir blotted films, you know, these are basically you bring a. Um, a molecule onto a water surface and then it kind of directs itself with the anchor which goes into the water and the hydrophobic part stays on the top so like you get a really mm. nice film so it's kind of like a self-assembled film on on top of water and this is actually what we investigated too or we wanted to see if you can even do drug delivery with it because it is kind of like an a radical sponge you know like we thought maybe this is interesting yeah um but um so like basically my master's was around how do we get a, uh, it was a manose, um, deprotected onto a fullerene. So I made a molecule and then I attached it and then I deprotected it. So like this was my method. But the reason why I, why I say this is like, I decided at that time that maybe it's, uh, it is better for me 
that I not stay in the sugar field, mm. maybe I um, I do something with, with following. And I wanted also to go back to uh, Germany. So after four years in Zurich, I, I just thought, okay, I just have experienced uh, Switzerland and it was a fantastic time, but, but maybe I go somewhere else. And mm. at that time, um, there were two people uh, very famous um, to Europe through this with this fullerene chemistry because every it was a real hype. I mean, I've never seen yeah. that afterwards um, again. So this was um, Professor Klaus Müllen, and she was at the MPI for Primary Research in Mainz. And there was an Andreas Hirsch, and he's in Tübingen. He was in Tübingen. Mm. So I interviewed with both of them, and. Um, um, yeah, so like I decided to to go to the MPI in mind, and this is a very interesting um, structure of a um, place where you can do your PhD because it's not yeah, a university, yeah. it's an institute. But yeah. the, so you get the the degree from the University of Mainz, but you can conduct the research at this at this uh, Max Planck Institute for Polymer Research. And in, yeah. in Germany, we have like several Max Planck Institutes. So like these, these are for chemistry, they are for um, yeah, so, uh, uh, geology, you know, like these are just, um, I, I don't know how, how to compare this, but these are just uh, really physical institutes. You know, we have a lot of virtual centers, but they are like professors working on, on one specific subject. These are like, maybe 10 research groups on one specific, and this is polymer chemistry in all yeah. Yeah. aspects you can even think of, you know, like synthesis, theory, um, physical um, chemistry. And this makes it very interesting because all people in that building, you know, I think we were, uh, these are like um, 300 people in that building that do nothing else than polymer chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what I don't know what the analogy would be in America, but I know I'm very familiar with the Max Max Planck Institute yes. for Colin Schurung. Is that what I'd say what it is? Which and one Colin is it? Forschung. <laughs> yeah, Colin <laughs> Forschung. Colin, Colin Forschung. Yeah. I don't yeah. know where this where this name comes from. So Colin that... Forschung, this is actually carbon, you know, cola is basically um um you know, this is coal, you know, coal. Mm -hmm. So yeah. basically this is carbon carbon research you know like this is um, a good translation yeah i tried i tried getting uh that one's in muleheim and i'm familiar with mm -hmm. that one because i tried getting i wanted to get eloy Furschner to give a presentation here because he, i think he's the director at, at the at that one but I yeah I, I don't know i don't know what the yeah i don't know what i don't know if there's like a direct analogy in america i know like yeah it's but there's like multiple ones of like mac yes. there's like multiple mac Planck institute and each mm -hmm. one's like specialized in their own yes. like research yes I, yeah i don't know what the analogy would be here it's, it's, i don't know it's, it's sort of like an um um you know um it's a place to do academic research, but it's not yes, like, yes, but it's not a but university. It's very focused, and there are mm. also the Fraunhofer Institute and, and the Helmholtz Institute. These are similarly mm. um, done. And what is interesting about it is, like, I mean, I never had to teach. You know, like, I mean, we, you just start and then you yeah. just continue um, doing your research. Yeah, there's no like teacher and, assistantship. Like, you don't have to like yes, do anything yes, like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And and it's very focused because everybody in that building does. Um, the polymer chemistry and the research groups are usually very large. So mm. in my research, you know, my group uh, from Professor Mullen, we were sixty people. So and it oh, was wow. structured, yes, yeah. and it was structured in a way that a habilitant, basically, this is an assistant professor, 
he was leading like a book group of like maybe uh, six to ten people, mm. and and I was in the following group. So yeah. and and basically my PhD was on on following. What this entails is basically trying to attach molecules to following, bring it into polymers. Um, yeah. So like yeah, this so was in... my you know like this was my PhD, and yeah. I can I can tell you this was. This was not easy because you had to, um, you know, work with very small quantities. We can't, we, we got this from Hirsch, you know, like this was like maybe 50 milligrams. And then here you go, you know, for <laughs> the next four months, you, you just have to do something with that. And, and, you know, you can, and, but that, at that time, this kind of hype, you know, um, people realized that this is actually not as simple. So, it was very easy to publish paper for, um, initially, yeah, but then yeah. it became harder because you know, like um, this this molecule sucked up you know like solvents like crazy. So the NMRs they had always like in the in the you know um, in the aromatic what, what, they, six to eight yeah, probably. Yes, like, yeah, they have like you know like a, a, a really like a lot of like it looked like a lot of impurities. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, uh, I tried to attach it to to semiconducting materials like it's high stacked and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it, but um, I have to say that when I now you know like I'm now a professor and I um, and I see these young people doing a PhD under under my guidance. So I have to say that you know when you're a young person, you, you take everything very personal. You know like mm -hmm. and this is kind of like. You cannot change it. It's a maturity process, but you just have to go through it. You know, like, although it was very hard, but it never occurred to me to give it up or to change it or to not to complete it. You know, it yeah. was kind of like a, you just have to, you just have to do it. And yeah. um, the best you can, and this is sort of like what you, you know, you have to get it to work. And yeah. this, this I can tell everybody who doesn't teach teachers, just, just stick with it and go through it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely one of the things is like just because you have bad research doesn't make you a bad person, right? So that's always one of the big. That's one of the. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I mean, I learned a lot, and yeah. I, I, and I, um, you know, I, I put this in in photo wall type, you know, and yeah. like I, I thought, okay. You know where can where can we put this in? And I had I I um I had actually a lot of like uh, different collaborations. You know, like um. Um, I made adapts where the fullerene mm -hmm. became more soluble. So we had several collaborators, and I traveled to Belgium. There, you know, we wanted to go to contact lenses, but it taught me that it is all very broad. It, it was all very applied. It was always the question, "What is this good for?" You know, can we use it for something? And this, mm -hmm. um, I would say, um, shaped my thinking till today. You know, like that, I want to make a material which you can use for something where you can have a lot of, you know, you can make, um, you know, polymers usually you can make in larger quantities. You can mm. the one step, two step synthesis. So like this was very, um, yeah, very, very good to experience. So what and, was, what were like the issues we're working with the fullerenes? Like, fullerines. was it like isolation um, and purifying it? Like yes, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like the purification. So in, um, in, in this group there, um, pioneered, uh, a specific attachment method, or we try different attachment method, and I use a these other. So um, mm. we um, we attached um, small molecules, and I had like ester group which I attached to it. Yes, 
and um, I yeah, this is what I what I remember. I can so how, like my like yeah yeah. So do you just like take a strong base, deprotonate like some hydrogen off the fullerene, and then just do some chemistry? Like, is that how it works, or like yeah, pretty much? Yeah. Yes, yeah. And so, like, the solubility is always an issue. You know, like, mm. um, also the GPT was uh, very interesting in, in following, you know, like, we can analyze these also the um, GPTs. So, the, yeah, the characterization is also very, very important. Yeah. So, yeah. so you worked in, mm -hmm. so you worked with fullerenes throughout your PhD. What was the, mm -hmm. and then, but after your PhD, you went into industry for a little bit, right? No, um, then I actually did my, Yes. Oh, postdoc. Then that's right. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about that. But but it was a specific postdoc. So mm -hmm. so um, Klausmann um had a connection to to IBM, and mm -hmm. um so I got a um, postdoctoral position with Craig Hawker, who um who was working at IBM, and IBM at that time. So this was a, a very interesting um setup. So the NSF had um how can I explain this? So UC Davis, Stanford, and um, IBM, they had a program which was called the PIMA, Center for Polymeric Macromolecular Interfaces. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I said this correctly. Yeah, polymer so, um, interfaces, yeah. macromolecular like, yes. mm -hmm. assembly, something like that, right? Yes, exactly, the PIMA. And uh, this was uh, funded by NSF, and this enabled um, um, these researchers at IBM to bring in postdocs from, from European countries. Mm. So and um and so I was officially a, a Stanford student, but I never saw Stanford. Basically, I saw it once a year, you know, like. But um, we had a collaboration with Bob Rimmett. This is also very interesting. But I was in the group of um of Craig Hawker, and Craig Hawker, um, yeah, he he's a very important figure in um developing controlled radical polymerizations. At that time, um. You know, this was 2000. Uh, this was, yeah, and all like um, NMP, uh, VAP, and ATRP, they were just, um, uh, you recognize the importance of these controlled radical polymerization methods. Mm -hmm. So, with this said to a, a general audience, like acrylates, they are usually at that time were done by free radical polymerization, but then you cannot control. The length of the polymer very well, so like it prevents you to make controlled materials with it. Mm. But um, having a controlled method where you can make them very homogeneous and you know like uh, in the exact length, this gives you um, tremendous opportunities for materials. And so uh, Craig Hawker is today um, a professor at UCSB and is the director of the materials uh, research science. Institute mm -hmm. they have at um, uh, UCSB, and um, this was a completely different environment, and I enjoyed mm -hmm. it tremendously. So, like when I started in his in his lab, I really decided. I mean, I want to stay in the country first of all. It was so exciting, and it was like a totally different, um, yeah, totally different atmosphere. And it was a small group. I mean, there was these were staff scientists who basically had two or three postdocs, and uh, and this was the group. So it was very intense. Yeah. So like I saw um, Craig like constantly during the day and we, you know, I, I did the reactions, he wrote the paper. So like this is how this works. And, um, but the, it was an incredible speed. You know, I, I got so much out of my um, postdoc. It was absolutely incredible. And there were people from Sweden and from the Netherlands. It was, it was super fun. And um, 
yeah, it, and, and this is where I uh, really entered polymer chemistry. You know, mm. I did a lot of reactions with NMP, this is nitroxide mediated uh, radical polymerization. And also, what I have to, to say is here, it, it starts already where I can say how important polymers are for our everyday life. Yeah. But I thought always, like, okay, what has a um, a computer manufacturer to do with polymers. And at that time, they wanted to make a dielectric um, material which isolates the, the copper wires in um, in um, in hard drives. And so, like, this has to be very well isolated. Otherwise, you cannot build these uh, chips very, very, um, very small. So, like, mm. they wanted to make them very small. So, and they wanted to create, this is in dielectric material, it's basically a very porous material where you want to incorporate a lot of air bubbles. So, it, it, the entire research um, went about how can we get something in, into accessory octane, basically this, this is a very hard material, how can we incorporate as many air bubbles in it as possible? So, and when I... Um, and this is your research. This this is the research. At, uh, I'm sorry. This is the research at IBM, right? Yes. yes okay. Exactly. Which yes. is in so is, San Jose, right? My, San Jose, California, yes, yes, I think. Yes. This is actually. Oh yeah, right. This is in Northern California, and this mm. is in IBM Elmaden. So like, yep. this is a beautiful site. This is in a natural park. You know, like bunnies hopping around, and <laughs> it's just beautiful. And it was built in the 80s, and I have like big wings. You know, like they had. Um, I mean, it is a fantastic site and it's yeah. where everything from IBM was developed. And there was still a lot of research done there. And when you visit this today, there's not as much research done, which is very sad. So, you know, industry, I don't know if this is a common common theme that industry does not do research anymore. But at that time, they did all the lithography methods were developed, developed there. So, like, it was all research and it was a really very... Um, very exciting, exciting uh, environment. Mm -hmm. And I, what I basically did is like we um, collapsed um, uh, linear polymers into small nanoparticles. So like it's what they call the intramolecular chain collapse. That means one chain is crosslinked, but only one chain. So therefore, the particle is ultra small, like five nanometers. And since this is organic, this was made from polystyrene, which is a completely organic material. And when you bring this into a, a matrix and burn it, then you get this ultra small uh, um, air bubble. But, mm. you know, like my research, I did not know a whole lot about the background, but um, it was for me very interesting that I could, I was then really a polymer chemist, you know, like I did mm. polymerization kinetics. I, I had like suddenly like, all these styrene materials. I um, had different molecular weights. And at that time, the, the monomer scope of um, NMP polymerization was still discovered. You know, like it was still everything very much at the beginning. And RAF was not as important as it as it is today. It was it is um, it was still a very a, a niche polymerization method. It was, mm -hmm. it, uh, NMP at that time was more important, and then ETRP. But RAF was done, just starting uh, to put it together. Yeah, yeah, and then I spent uh, two years there, and I really wanted to stay in this country. And I came in with a J1 visa. And the J1 visa um, is only valid for three years. You know, like when you come in as a foreigner, you, you know exactly what, uh, what you can do with your visa and not. 
So I had to either go back to my country or find a job. And I thought already about academia, but I, you know, it just, it, the time is not enough to just to just write proposals and uh, you know go, go in academia. And I just wanted mm-hmm. to stay in the country. So in doing my um, uh, tenure, basically at IBM, we we started to collaborate with a lot of or like with a few uh, professors, which were kind of important in my you know they they helped me they helped me to stay in the country and also um, they are, they advised me. In, in many different ways, I can say, yeah. So yeah, this yeah. was um, uh, so we started to collaborate with the lab from uh, Jean Jean Frechet in Berkeley mm-hmm. because uh, Craig Hawker um, knew him very well because it was his um, his postdoctoral advisor. So we went to Berkeley because we wanted to test materials. We collaborated with them, and also Bob Weymouth. Um, uh, we also collaborated with him. So a I, I um, yeah so like. I, I knew these people. So and um, and uh, Jean Fichet had a connection to a startup company who licensed um, one of his patents, which was a dendritic um, uh, poly polyester. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to this company for two years. This was Sinoport, and the idea. So and this was in Santa Clara. The idea of this company was that um, you um, you map the um, you map the um, drug molecule as it is um, um, in sort of a nutrition. So what the company did, it, it was more a biotech company that mapped the entire intestine, um, what kind of receptors are there and how you can manage that a body will take this drug up and uh, will recognize it as a nutrition. Mm. So like there was a lot of like medicinal chemistry going on and what my job was, it was sort of like funded by an SBIR grant. Um, I should, uh, so my job was to make a dendromer with a lot of surface areas to solubilize a very challenging drug molecule. And this was alendronate. So alendronate is a um, osteoporosis drug and it has two, it, it has different charges, a positive and a negative charge. Mm-hmm. So you cannot take this like, um, it's very difficult uh, for you to take this drug. It gives you a lot of un- uh, uncomfort or like it, it makes you sick. You have to lie down. You cannot um, consume it with milk and all these kind of things. Probably so a lot that, of permeability issues too, right? Yes, like with a exactly. dianon. What that means yes. is like, because it's charged, it can't mm-hmm. cross hydrophobic membranes in your cells, yes. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And the idea was that, um, first of all, the dendromer had, had a certain size mm. that uh, basically it is, you know, that's up to the mucus in the intestine, uh, you know, how it is taken up and going and going through. So, mm-hmm. and this was, so I was the only polymer chemist in that, in that company. And it taught me a lot how medicinal chemists see a polymer. Like, you know, like I came with my, um, you know, my multi-spectra and it was not one peak, it was just a distribution because it was, yeah. And they're the like, what, what, is, what, is, what is that? You know, so for medicinal chemists, this is like, it's a, it's a different, uh, yeah, it's a macromolecule. Mm. And I realized also how you have to communicate science. You know, we met every Tuesday morning. It was like a big group meeting 
And it taught me a lot how to present research, you know, like um, how you how you how you structure this, what is important for for medicinal chemists, what is important for me. So it um, when I basically went out there to interview, I had all the training you ever can can uh, wish of. And of course, a startup is something not permanent. And in my mind, you know, like in my German mind, I needed something more stable. You know, I always was thinking, okay. Um, my German really mind. <laughs> <laughs> is this really something what I would like to do forever? Or like, um, and then I had the idea, okay, what was the idea with the academia? But I didn't know how to put it off. Yeah. And, um, um, and so I asked, a lot of colleagues of mine or, or like I went to conferences but I had nothing to present and I felt very bad about it and they asked me like how did you do this how do you apply and they told me okay you need of course uh, recommendation letters but that's not all of it you need like a proposal these are three proposals and mm -hmm. then um, and then you hopefully get an invitation or maybe you get no no invitation so and um, yeah then I actually asked um, Asked Professor Touchet if he has a model of a um, of proposals because I did not know how they look like, mm -hmm. and he and and he showed it to me how they are how they are written, yeah. And then I started to to prepare this, and there's always one deadline in a in a year. This is in in October, and I sent everything away to just twenty five universities, and then I started interviewing. So I got uh, five um, interviews, and I got one offer and this is what I what I what I took. And this was at Vanderbilt. Yep. Yeah. And um yeah and then I started my acad academic career, you know, and this was this was something totally different. I moved from uh California to Tennessee. I, to Nashville. I had never in Nashville, exactly. I've never been to Tennessee and and this was something yeah, I never, I never regret that step because it just, it was, um, yeah, you are suddenly, I mean, it is, it is pretty amazing what schools do. I mean, they are invite you and they look at your proposal and they give you a bunch of money and say, okay, we will check on you every year and then we will see what you made out of this. It's pretty fascinating. And, yeah. uh, you know, it is, I mean, there's a lot of trust there, but suddenly you are really on your own. You know, you sit alone in your office and then you think, okay, this is now it. And then you have your idea and then you get one student and then the second one and then you have a group. And it was, you start to teach. It's it's extremely mind-boggling, but um, you you grow with it. You know, yeah. you grow with it very fast. And it is, I think, the only method to to learn. You are you are, you are queen of your own kingdom. You know, mm. you, ha you have to make it and nobody else is there to help you. I mean, of course, you know, colleagues come over and ask you, so how how's it going? And somebody says, no, you have to write grants first. No, you have to publish first. But in the end, you just need to, you, you just feel it on your own. You know, like yeah. you have to know, you just do what you think is is, is right. And I think what's interesting yeah, too is yeah. your your path to here wasn't like, you didn't have like a dream of setting out to be like a, a professor. At no. least it doesn't sound like that, no. but it just kind no, of like no. one thing led to another yes, and like exactly. you just so, like, we're so, just along for the ride. Yes. And and sometimes it is really like this. Um, I mean, many people know immediately what they want to um, to become, but, mm. I, but I I didn't. So, but I, I knew what I liked and what I didn't like. And mm. also I had a good feeling for timing. So I, I suddenly knew 
I had to do something. I really have to, um, I have to do this. Or like when I worked in a company, I mean, I did not go out in the evening and, you know, had fun or whatever. I wrote proposals till two o'clock in the morning and then I went to work again. So you have to That's have fun. Well, you know, but it's it's like it's different. You have to sort of like and I knew I had to apply this year. I knew it. I cannot mm -hmm. wait another year. So I had it in me and um it's it's and I was right because at that year when they hired every department had a vision, you know, what they want to uh, what program they want to have. And yep. at that time, they wanted to have a nano program. And um, Benavid had a nano a nano, in, uh, a nano institute. And with all my particles, I'm, I did. And I wanted to uh, continue to make nano particles. I fit exactly in there what they wanted. So you have to be the right person at the right time. So yep. and when yep. I would have been a year later, it would have not worked out. And um, and yeah, the, the, the timing is it's extremely, extremely it's important. important. And um, just, just follow it. And yeah. This is so what was, what was, yeah. what was your proposal to get into Vanderbilt? Because, yeah, because I typically like when you're a graduate student, like at least starting out, you'll kind of be given a project and then like you'll have the opportunity, especially as, and then you can, you, then you have the opportunity to kind of work on your own stuff, especially, mm -hmm. and then especially as a postdoc, you can kind of do your own projects Broadly speaking, unless you're kind of coming into like what you did, then you're kind of given the projects. But yeah. I feel like it's most most of the time it's like you can kind of do what you want. So like what what was the what was your proposal to that that kind of launched you into the Vanderbilt? Like what like mm -hmm. what what like what specifically? Yeah. So of course you have always the best ideas when there's the deadline. You know, like when you mm. are under pressure. <laughs> you know, like it's always like this. When you when you gotta do something, you have to come up with an idea. So um. So it is always when you start off, I see this also when I read now proposals of people who apply for an assistant professor position, it's always sort of a melange of your experiences. You know, mm. like I had like a new method for an intramolecular chain collapse particle in it. And I took like some chemistry for my PhD. You know, I I, um, I just uh, could apply one use other method. You know, mm -hmm. this is what I did. And then I had um, an idea to, um, so yes, right. Um, it was attaching back uh, to make a, a semiconducting particle, but what is organic? You know, like the, at that time was uh, the quantum dots became very popular, but they are like quantum dots. Is quantum dots, yes. <laughs> and uh, they are selenite. And I thought maybe I can do this with isolated semiconducting polymers, you know, like mm -hmm. I wrap them also like into a, a nanoparticle. And this was very interesting for that for that institute. And they had also ideas to um, cover gold surfaces or, you know, I came up with a, a neuroconducting thing. I don't know. So I, I wrote yeah. three proposals, but I finished um, basically two. But I have to say then you always start with your proposals, but then you you start talking to people and then the magic happens. Yeah. So, and therefore it's so important that when you um, enter a university or when you decide to for a job in academia, mm -hmm. you walk basically into these people you see. So like Vanderbilt was very um, uh, driven by the medical school. So like it was, uh, you know, the chemistry department, uh, everybody uh, collaborated very heavily with the medical center. 
And when you then start talking to people, you are approached, you know, can you help us with this? Can you help us with that? And then you start thinking about it. You see suddenly other problems you never thought about. Mm -hmm. And so my entire nanoparticle um, drug delivery system, which I uh, developed for like where my lab became, became known for, or like what was my trademark basically in my lab, this was basically uh, when a professor from the medical school came over and asked me, can you put a um, dye molecule onto a peptide? And mm. I said, yeah, we can do that. And then we did this in a week and he thought I was, I was God, okay? So, and, <laughs> so this was fantastic. So, and then um, he said, yeah, um, there are just drugs out there. They're very hydrophobic, you know, like we want to bring them into the body. And this was Dr. Hellerhan, and he is um, he is now at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and this was a very important collaborator for me. And uh, with, with, uh, with this inspiration, we uh, developed what we called our nanosponge. This is a this was a nanoparticle which was crosslinked, but it was not one chain which was crosslinked. It was basically many chains, but we could control the sizes. Mm -hmm. And this, I mean, this entire research. I did then for, yeah, over the entire period I was at um, at Vanderbilt, you know, starting off as an assistant professor, then then associate professor. But Real quick, uh, Professor Hart, just about just about the nano the nano sponge. Mm -hmm. When you say controlling the length, do you mean like the oh, the yeah. area, like from the center to the outer, like the outer end of it? Is that what you mean by that? Um. So actually, um, I I mean I wanted to say the size. So mm. so like. When you have one linear polymer and then you take another um, polymer which is with the, which is usually shorter but it is di-functionalized and you have 10 functional groups on along that polymer backbone mm -hmm. you can basically form a network and we we managed to make these networks in particular nanoscopic sizes you know we can we could make um, particles um, from 20 nanometers to 200 nanometers, but they were like in themselves, they, were, they had always the standard deviation of like maybe like um, 20%. You know, I see. Kind of yep. And this is something I probably should have asked mm -hmm. earlier, but mm -hmm. we'll get into it now is, you know, can yeah, we yeah. explain exactly what a polymer is? Like what okay. to the, like, cause I think, yes. cause we talked yes. around the term a lot and I know what yes. it means, but like, can you explain it to like, mm -hmm. you know, what is so, it exactly? Yeah, so um, you have small molecules. This is uh, basically maybe a, for example, vanillin. This is like one molecule. And when you analyze it, you see one very specific structure. Mm. And a polymer is when you when you take one small molecule uh, and add this many, many times together, you create a string. So like it's kind of like a pearl necklace. This is obviously explanation how yeah. you can explain it. And it is it is a string, but you can have also polymers which are they look like comps, they look like um, real network, mm -hmm. they look um, I mean they have like different what we call different architectures and different mm -hmm. topologies and branching densities and and this is where the very unusual properties um, um, of these of these polymers arising. And yeah, so depending on depending on your monomer, right? Whatever that one strand is, you can get different properties of the, the macro structure. Exactly. Um, yes. yes. 
I feel like the the easy example. I don't. The easy example would be plastics, right? That is the yes, easy example. Exactly. Yes. For example, so what is a plastic? Yeah. Like, let's start. Let's, oh, let's okay. start, like, what is a plastic? So, like, um, a, a plastic is a term which is, um, in fact, not really scientific. So, like, right. this is more more a jargon or like what people um, connect with um, with a plastic bag or like a plastic bottle. Mm -hmm. And but it is, um, it's it's a in in a in a technical term a, a polyolefin. These are most plastics we we or like what we what people think is a plastic is in a technical term a polyolefin. Yeah. And so plastic plastic doesn't have a it doesn't it doesn't mean anything in the science world basically. Like no. plastic doesn't doesn't really mean anything. No. no. So that's good yes. to that's good to be kind of clear this yes. up because I know yes. a lot of people it is, and therefore there's also a lot of confusion um when people want to uh, go plastic free or like think plastic is like a very bad material but it is so versatile mm -hmm. i mean it, it can be a plastic bag but it can be also a, a pipe which can manage it to you can send Carry something water. very hot to it oh, yeah, you yeah. can have many different um applications or like a hydrogel what you inject in in a body for drug delivery which is yeah. also um um Sort of, uh, yeah, it's a polymer, not necessarily a plastic. Or what yeah. you have in your in your sneaker. Um, these are all, or yeah, yeah. So plastics, all... right? So plastics, uh, nano sponges, which you know for drug delivery. Mm -hmm. um, you know PVC. Uh, these are all under the umbrella of polymers, right? So like, yes, exactly. And obviously, they all have different over, properties. All overarching, yeah. yes. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's definitely important to distinguish, mm -hmm. I think, for a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. Um, because yeah, there are so many applications for polymers. Um, mm -hmm. Depending on and like like we mentioned, depending on what your your monomer is, whatever the single unit is, and if you change that, you can change the the physical properties of the macrostructure. Um, exactly. Which so is example, important. Yeah. Yep, for, go ahead. For, go ahead. Yeah. For example, in um, in the most common plastic, polyethylene, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is one monomer. So this is actually very fascinating when you see the acrylate world. And it's also that polymer chemists in the acrylate world don't talk to the people in the ethylene world because it's so, the monomers, they have like a totally different character. The ethylene and propylene, they look very simple. Uh, but you can make everything out of these two, two monomers yeah. because they can branch. So, a polyethylene you can make amorphous. This this means it's soft and and um very I mean almost wax like or even fluid. Or you can have a polyethylene which is like um which which has the ultra high density polyethylene. What mm -hmm. is what you it's it's a very hard tough tough material. And um this is yeah, it is fascinating that you can make this out of one single monomer. Yeah, and, and only, yeah, I was say just and ethylene for ethylene is just it's literally C two H four. That's the chemical composition of this thing. Yes. That's that's all it is. Yes. It's just a gas. Mm -hmm. I don't even. I don't actually. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Hey, I don't know where the feedstock is. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that. But it's a very it's, simple molecule. There's nothing really special yes. about it. Yeah, it, it it comes directly out of the oil production. You know, like okay, side product out of the oil. Out of the oil production. Okay, yeah. and then when you when you say acrylates, those mm -hmm. are they are polar monomers, right? right. They they mm -hmm. typically have oxygen. That's yes. part of their composition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, 
let's see. How could I? How do I want to phrase phrase this? Yeah, so therefore, you know, polymer chemist is not polymer chemist. So like it's mm. so it's such a versatile field. Um, I mean, when you have a polymer conference, it's um, it's very specialized already, yeah. depending on what your polymerization method is. Yeah. So for fully olefins, polymerization method is mostly guided by by the by the catalyst. And, mm. and the people who make the catalyst, they are used that monomer. So when when you talk to acrylate people, I was an acrylate basically. I dealt with acrylate or mm. vinyl monomers. Yep. You, you use radical methods for um and but usually you stay in that field. And um it's it's not because this these monomers they have very specific properties and mm. you you need very specific methods. So this is already enough to study for the for the rest of your life, uh, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But um you see to um yeah, it is it is a very broad field and the mm -hmm. application of these polymers, they, you know, you can use them in um in biomedical research. You can you can of course you have the rubber uh, people, you know, like this is again another section. You can focus on polyolefin strictly. You um I mean working only with these two monomers, mm -hmm. or you can try to um enhance the properties of each different polymer. And then you bring in the other monomer family in it. And then yeah. you are in the business of like um, polymer, uh, increasing the polymerization methods or, 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 or yeah, dealing with mechanisms. Of yeah. So, yeah. So one, one, one application obviously is, is plastic, mm -hmm. but this is something that we should discuss a little bit is mm -hmm. the, the nano sponge idea and drug delivery, another yes. application of polymers, because mm -hmm. basically what happens is, you make your polymer and depending on the elements and the atoms that are in the, they, they will self-assemble into this, I guess you could say spherical thing where the outer half is hydrophilic and the inner half is hydrophobic, right? So, that, so like what, 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 what you described, this would be um, what a, a micelle would yeah, be. Yeah, micelle. This, this is also a very common uh, drug delivery system mm. because what you want to use is a um so it, the the drug delivery idea came because you have like very hydrophobic small molecules uh, these are like the um uh, the drugs you want to deliver into a body they're very hydrophobic which means they do not mix well with your with your blood yeah and yeah. so um you need something to just in most um uh, to to solubilize or like um to deliver uh, it. I mean, really, like this, yes, it's something that's compatible. To, yes, exactly. You form, you want to form a sort of a suspension that, you know, like that it is brought in into the system and accumulate at the tumor site. So, mm -hmm. and the entire, this is, this is the field of the nano drug delivery, uh, nano drug delivery. So it has been not very successful, um, or like it has been criticized a lot that after all these years of study, there is not really um, a breakthrough in the, in um, you know like there are not many drugs um, or like drug delivery systems approved and it it shows you how complex it is. So yeah. The, so in an ideal world, in a like in in an ideal world, you would have this. You would have the micelle, but then you would have the the drug inside the pocket. 
you would deliver it, you would deliver it. And then like, I guess the mycel would just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it would go somewhere else and not affect you basically. Right. But I guess it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. So okay. the, the idea was that the nanoparticles, they have like a, a, a certain um, architecture, you know, like they're self-assembled, or in our case, it was a network, you know, it has a globular structure, mm-hmm. and it holds the hydrophobic drugs inside these hydrophobic pockets, and then on the outer end, you have like targeting units or like um, solubilizing uh, units, and then to the, to the architecture, it goes to the tumor, because the tumor has a very specific vasculature, which is a little bit bigger and it has it can um it can accumulate particles in these regions mm-hmm. so it automatically it stays in the in the tumor site and then it gives the drug away mm-hmm. so this is this was called the EGR effect so there's always a name for it but this is like a passive targeting it's a targeting to an archi- the architectural form of this nanoparticle mm-hmm. and then to make it more effective then you have a targeted delivery where you attach uh, mostly like either antibodies or peptides peptides is easier to deal with yeah. and then it's yeah. guided to this so what um no real quick yeah. so mm-hmm. the the nano sponges that you worked on is that is that different than um, like what a typical micelle is are they different? Yes. Okay. Yes. How are they different? That, that's yes. something yeah. that I, so, I, I misunderstood. So, so we are not. We were not working with self assembly. We had basically a string of polyester, which is a degradable polymer. Mm-hmm. And um, so, like along this polyester, we had like little units which which um which react with another um dye-functionalized polymer. And this it creates when you bring these together, it creates a network. And so this network is then completely hydrophobic and you can then isolate it and then you can load your drug into this network. And mm. um, and so this was uh, so like this was our selling point and it worked actually very well because you can incorporate and you can make um, you know like a gram or like I don't know how much of this uh, nano sponge and then you can load different drugs into it. You know we made dual delivery systems. Um, you know, you can then uh, load different drugs for different applications. Now, would this be like oral, orally, like orally dosed? Okay. Uh, so, like, it's usually um, it goes systemic. This means it's injected into the bloodstream. Okay. So, um, but we did also eye eye deliver towards the eye. It is then injected into the eye. So, because injecting to your eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, that's brutal. Yeah, so it's, um, so, you know, therefore, your environment is important. So, because at Vanderbilt, there was a really good eye institute. Okay. And I started to work with um, Dave Hawkins. So, and their work on glaucoma and macro, macro, um, macular degeneration. Mm-hmm. And um, so, like, it's pretty scary how the drugs are delivered. So, like, they are um, they're injected directly into your eyeball, you know, into the right <laughs> zone. And, and, but sounds... you have no... Were you a test subject? No, I mean, I, um, uh, so like they always tell you that I I did not try it, but you have no nerves there. So like they poke you with a very, very small needle Mm. and they inject it basically in it. So it's, it's of course, the the delivery time is extremely fast and these people, they get injections every month. So it's of course very stressful for them because the idea alone, you know, getting poked into the eyeball is kind of like, yeah, that's very, yeah. very inefficient way. Yes. But yes. it is a proof of concept, though. So, like, yes, exactly. you know, yeah. if anything so else. This, mm-hmm. So, and, um, 
I mean, during that time, I mean, it was a really um, very, very, su very successful program in my lab. You know, mm -hmm. I, I mean, we, we made different, uh, I, I could collaborate with uh, different professors and, um, you know, for different, uh, different applications. But what I also realized is like the real drug delivery, or like we have also here at UH a drug discovery um, institute. Mm -hmm. um, the real drug molecules they have to work without a drug delivery system. This is the ideal, the ideal world. And so, like always, when I wanted to collaborate with them when they developed a new a new drug, and I said, well, actually, we do not want to need you. You know, we want a drug which works without your drug delivery system. Yeah. And of course, like for me, this was kind of uh, sad to hear, but this is um this is logic. You know, like we want a drug which just gets injected and works, and um. But I have to say that the entire drug delivery world is there is still a lot to discover because yeah. there are lots of drug with drugs which fail in the in the last phase of a clinical trial mm -hmm. because they are too hydrophobic and too toxic then because of this. And then you might ask, why are they so hydrophobic? So why can they not just attach some hydro molecules which or like uh, something that's hydrophilic that can like pass it through yeah. but you need the hydrophobicity to enter cells and which mm -hmm. are which is the lipid layer so you know that you have there is a certain balance to make it more uh, hydrophobic hydrophilic enough but they're usually really good drugs they're always hydrophobic so yeah yeah, yeah a lot of times you'll see in you'll see in the medicinal medicinal chemistry like literature is that you'll you you might get a lot of good results like in vitro like so mm -hmm. like it'll like oh i, I discovered this yes. new drug which helps yes. i don't know with headache yes. Yes. which is great it'll it helps out mm -hmm. with these cells but then you yes. go to in vivo which means now we're going to try it into an actual living cell and it can yes. pass through like the cell membrane because yes. or for whatever reason so Yes, exactly. Yeah, drug design is a very delicate process. That yeah, uh, yes, and and you know, like actually, the the NIH they had once a call out there. Just uh, you know, you can look through libraries of drug molecules which look really highly potent against all sorts of like um, diseases, mm -hmm. but they're all fail, and you can actually order them and do whatever you want with them to make them yeah. um, more useful. They're now used only in. What you know, fungal um, things in dogs, you know, like they are like beautiful drug molecules. They, are, they have amazing applications or, or like the, uh, the amazing, um, uh, I mean, they look good, but they are, you can only use them maybe in DMSO yeah, or in yeah. DMF or, you know, they have then sudden, uh, suddenly uh, all, these, all these limitations. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so like, this was Vanderbilt, and when I had all this delivered, or well, well, when I had all developed my nano sponges, I came sort of to an end. You know, like you, yeah. you have all this a wave. You 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 start off your program. You just see that it's working. You did you run over campus and work with everybody. But this came sort of like I always was thinking, okay, what is now next, right? I mean. I can uh, start a startup company or like uh, what I'm gonna gonna do with this or um, do, I, do I do now something else. And this is always like a thing, I think what comes after your tenure, you know, like you have done what you propose to do, mm -hmm. but then during that time, you walk already into a different person, you know, like you, you develop yourself and then think, 
okay, what is really, or like what else is out there? What do I do next? What, uh, what other nice challenges are out there? Yeah, this is a good segue into yes. what you do now with the with the Milrad chemistry. Yes, exactly. What are pioneers yes. in this? Right. And so, you know, I was invited to give a talk at uh, UH. Mm -hmm. And then I um I was told, okay, this is um this is actually an this is actually an interview. And I was totally excited. And then I, you know, I heard then after a couple of months if I if I want to uh, start here and I of course did that. So it was it came to the right time and I was so excited to to come here because it was basically um uh, yeah it's a new department but it's also in Houston which is a completely uh, different area than Tennessee but mm -hmm. it was also that they offered me to to um be the director of the Center of Excellence in Polymer Chemistry. So it has a big name but it's basically what it is is that um that the Welch Foundation and UH they um they gave each other basically $4 million. So that there were $8 million in the pot. And then they said, okay, because polymers are so important in this area because of the oil and gas industry, yeah. we want to increase the number of, um, of graduates in this field because industry is asking for this and not only engineers, polymer chemists. So, and basically I was hired with the job to, to build that center. So what does this mean? So this is basically saying you start hiring people, you know, like you you bring you make searches, um, uh, faculty searches, and mm -hmm. you um, see that you can buy different instruments, that you build a um, a service facility which is still uh, in in the make. You know, we still have to make that website which I'm working on right now. Mm -hmm. But the the mission is that you increase um, the yeah, that you build a hub for um, polymer chemistry because yeah. it is so important for this area, but it is also important in general for, for our in, entire society. Yeah, Houston is a huge, huge center for oil and gas, but also, yeah, definitely, definitely polymer chemistry. Um, yes. I want to get into, so I, I, I want to get into that definitely. So yes. you mm -hmm. are the, your group is the pioneers for the you know, Milrad, so metal insertion light initiated radical polymerization. So if you can kind of explain, you know, what that means. Yeah, um, okay. So so I mean, um, like I said, I came with with the idea or, or like um I came with the background in, in biomedical research. Mm -hmm. And so like again, it's in, interesting what happens when you come to a new place. So I started to to talk to Professor da, um, Olaf Davulis, you know, like he's here and he is, um, um, yeah, he's he's a very important figure in our in our department. Yep. And uh, he's working on polyolefin, and our department is also um, kind of like interestingly structured because we have a lot of inorganic chemists, um, and we have nat natural product synthesis people. Yeah. But it is not directed towards the medical school. So it is like it has a different outlook. And so when I started to talk to Olaf, you know, I started to get interested in um, in medical, uh, in um, in metal organic chemistry. Yeah. So and I never even thought about it doing this or we never had a glove box in my lab. And um, <laughs> then I, so then I decided to decided to read a lot of papers um, about how to combine 
uh, basically the accolades with olefins because they are profit from each other. You know, like olefins profit from when there are polar groups incorporated. So like you can then, um, you know, um, blend, you can, yeah, it, it has- You're blending a non-polar non monomer with a polar monomer, and that inherently makes a new structure, which could be used for things. You know, we're not yes, really up exactly. to decide that, yes. but- Yes, so, so and, but the, the challenge is how do you manage to bring these two different polym, uh, monomer worlds together? Because yeah. then you build the, segment, the segmented structures from a polyolefin, a hydrophobic part, into and then you have a segmented structure from a um, from an uh, hydrophilic molecule. You have an ambicile, and you can make this into an, a micelle, for example. You can make drug delivery with it when you want to, but it can also bridge different polymers. And then we are in the recycling business. So, um, real quick about that. So, um, yeah. In general, it's if you're if you have a you'll. In general, it's difficult to incorporate a polar monomer into a mm -hmm. um, a nonpolar monomer, right? So typically, right. like your catalyst yeah. will polymerize your nonpolar monomer. It's mm -hmm. hard for the other monomer to incorporate in there. So you'll just end up yes. getting this this um, yes. polyethylene, yes. really, right? Yes. So um, and and most of the time, what also can happen is that the accolade, the polar monomer poisons your catalyst mm. or the the um the turnover number goes down so the efficacy goes down so you you um only create very crappy monom uh, polymers so it affects the the ability of the um uh, metal organic catalyst to work yeah. so it's really really a poison so you, of course you can use accolades or like uh, these polar monomers which look more like an olefin so like you you mimic sort of oh it is an olefin but it is not an olefin, but our idea was okay. We separate the world, you know, like we let the the olefin be polymerized by the insertion polymerization, so like mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be, and then we let the accolade be polymerized by a radical mechanism. But how do you bring these two mechanisms together? And that was that is basically what we did for the last five years already. Um, wow. to, to build a process where you can you manage to have a fully olefin radical and so you, you cleave the metal carbon bond to mm -hmm. a radical on the um, on your polymer string and then you can start a radical polymerization. So this is basically what it means. So like you 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 um and this you do through light. So like I did a lot of light reactions in the past. So um, well, let's put it that way. There, at that time when I started here, um, there was a lot of interest in the polymer world after the controlled radical polymerizations were developed mm -hmm. to uh, initiate lots of radical polymerizations by light. So you, because you get a different uh, level of control, you know, like you can make patterns or so like the light uh, initiation was um yeah it, it was it was very important and so we we thought okay how can we bring this in there and we started really completely naively and we had also a lot of luck that we started with the right catalyst which we can which we could which we could make very easily in mm -hmm. our lab you know it was very complicated to make a, a boca type um um the catalyst catalyst and yeah we have professor book as part of our department but it is 
um, you know, we, we, but it was very exciting. So what I want to say is sometimes you just need to try out to something completely what is not known to you. And, mm. um, and it was, it is still so much fun because it, uh, I learned every day something completely new. It was not what I did before. And, um, but it came only because I moved. I mean, when you read a paper, it does not have the same strength as if you would talk to a person. So therefore you have to go to conferences or talk to a lot of people because this is where the ideas come from. So it was not that I came here and said, okay, I I want now to make a um, block of polymer of fully olefins and radicals. No, this is all very, very organic. You know, it, it just yeah. grows on you. But then when you have a goal, then you have to be fast. You know, like you cannot uh, wait for a long time. And I was really lucky that my um, one of my senior uh, graduate students moved with me and, and uh, became one one very effective postdoc. And this was Dane, Dane Visa, and he's now a professor at Fisk University in, in Tennessee. Mm. He trained everybody. So And this was um, very important because when you start off, then you um, have all these new people, but of course they have to be effective, you know, like they have to be trained properly. And this yeah. is very yeah. crucial that you um, uh, get off in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a good way. But this is- Real quick, Professor Arthur, yeah. can I ask you about the, like what does the setup look like? What does the apparatus look like for doing these, these what we what you call it, like a dye block copolymer, right? So like, how does it like, what is it like, if I'm just a new student that came in, like, hey, so how do I do this? Like, what is okay. that? What, like, okay, so, um, so like, you can do this in a flat, but mm. um, yeah, you can do this in a flat, you can do this in a, in a vial. Mm. So you start your, um, your polymerization, you can do this at room temperature, you can do this in a power reactor when you use um, ethylene. So you have to, because it's a gas, you have to work under pressure. Yeah. So at the beginning, we were, you know, we, we, I did not know what a power, power reactor was, or like we were very cautious to work with pressure. We started actually with um, alpha olefin. This was the reason, because it's a liquid. So, and this was very familiar with us, and we did not have to, to buy a power reactor. So we started with, um, with, um, uh, one one hexene, which is uh, yeah. yeah, which is an alpha olefin. Uh, so you can distill this, you can uh, flame dry it, you make your catalyst, you bring this together, and we uh, polymerize it at room temperature. And of course, you can read then lots of literature in what solvent, and then you get your poly polyhexene. You get a polymer from this polyhexene. And so hexene, hexene is so it is just. I mean. It's similar to um, people might be familiar with hexane, which mm -hmm. is just a uh, yes. a lighter fluid, fluid really, mm -hmm. just really, and hexane yeah. is just a double bond at the end. It's very, uh, right. very commercially it's also, available. Also, a waste product. So in industry, mm. not many people know what to do with it. So I, yep. it's now when you read papers, there is a lot of room or, or like there's interest to um, um, develop catalysts to make use out of like one hexene, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, alpha olefins in general, because, but the, so what we realized is with the typical metal organic catalyst developed for ethylene, they, and they usually do not work that well with alpha olefin, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, with, with hexenes or like you have dodecene, which is a longer chain, 
but um probably can't it, bind to the catalyst is that probably why it just it just yeah, it, uh, can't coordinate it, yeah it, it gives you um not as long one uh, polymers you know i guess they are like done at 30k or something but you get not ultra high molecular weight um polymeric materials but mm. it did not matter to us you know like we it's actually easier for characterization so like sometimes polyolefins you cannot characterize in in size exclusion chromatography very easily. So yeah. I, have, I have to say, I think the advancement in science is also linked always to to the analytics. So you mm. have you have to have methods where you can analyze your material very confidently and can convince people that you have the material. So in in um in polyhexenes, they were very, very soluble in THF. You know, like you can run then easily a, a GPC, you know exactly what you have. Yep. So, yep. and then to switch from a insertion pathway, which is guided by the... By so real quick, so in your yeah. flask, so in your flask, you'll have the solvent, so which is mm -hmm. THF, you'll have yeah. by a stir bar. <laughs> And then you'll introduce DCM, okay. That's your solvent. You'll introduce your your alpha olefin. So in this case, we'll just say hexene. And then I assume the palladium, like a palladium catalyst. Like the catalyst will actually facilitate the chemistry. So that's in there. You let it go for a while, I guess. Yes. Is this, is this, I don't know. I'm actually unfamiliar how air sensitive the diamine catalysts are. So the diamine catalysts are surprisingly stable, also air. So, but we did everything um, in the glass bag, you know, like um, we, so like there are beautiful things out there. I mean, you can do things in the glove box, but mm. you have maybe like two or three, one glove box, uh, box in the lab, I have one glove box, but um, these glass bags, you can purchase and you can um, blow them up in your, in your hood. Oh, okay. And then you can flow, uh, float uh, nitrogen through it, you know, and then you can, uh, you can, I mean, it is it is good for catalysts or like you can well when when your complex is not as sensitive you know and we did everything in there of course you have to flame dry your flask yeah. um yeah. it has to be you know air is important that your air is that is um that that there is no air you know like you have to uh, freeze um pump, I mean you have to um make sure that you don't have oxygen or water yeah. in the system. This is the most important part, yeah. Yeah, so many, for those that um, are kind of unfamiliar with the chemistry is that mm -hmm. a lot of transition metals like palladium will bind, I assume it binds oxygen, like, and then like, mm -hmm. it just kills your catalyst. Like you can't, right. and right. you're you're not able to break a palladium oxygen mm -hmm. bond, basically. It's, mm -hmm. it's super difficult yeah. um, so, in, in general yeah. terms. Mm -hmm. um, so, exactly. okay, so you, you polymerize the hexene, and then mm -hmm. how do you switch it then so, to do that? Okay, so like it is important that um, that you know about the um, chemistry of the or like the mechanism of the um, of the specific catalyst you have. So mm -hmm. the Brokart catalyst, what we did not know at that time. So when you add then um, a an acrylate, you form a chelate. So like it is a very stable structure, and you cannot add another acrylate again. So it's not that basically you can just another polymerization of the acrylate start. So you can only um, cleave this chelate. Um, this is uh, kind of like a thermodynamic thing. So like it's kind of like an, you add the, uh, the acrylate and then it's, it's stuck there. But when you have ethylene or 
um, hexene present, then you can open this chelate again and it would start with hexene again. So the thing is, so like this is how actually the uh, Bokatak catalyst became famous because you can incorporate a higher amount of aquilates or polar monomers into the um, polymer chains because they always walk to the, they're always at the end of the branching. So you can, you can then always bring open these chelates with a, an olefin, but not with another aquilate. So, and this is where our expertise came in. So we, we, um, so just real quick, just to kind of recap yeah. it too, the previous literature before you guys had come along, it was basically impossible to insert accurately, 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 right? Is that right? It's, or it's still impossible. Still impossible. So it's still, it's yeah. still impossible. So with the insertion mechanism. So you you add basically you accurate and then it forms this chelate. Mm -hmm. And then so what are you doing then with this chelate? So what we did is when you shine light on it, the chelate um so so like when we um, I have to say this because we did not know first what is important. We made this uh, block of polymer, but we did not realize what the mechanism was. Mm. All what we did is we added the um, the monomer, then we shine were shining blue light on it, and then we realized that we had started a radical polymerization, um, and we polymerized acrylate. So, and we isolated this product. So, so how did you, who, what was, was it an accident? You guys shine blue light on it? Did you guys just like, so we, like. Um, we, um, what is this? Why did we have blue light on it? I think we had it for another experiment. In, uh, what did, what did we, we did something else with blue light. I cannot recall. But, but it was more or less like an accident. Like you were like, hey, let's just shine blue light so on like it and see what was, happens. It was more like, let's try this with the, with the blue light. And mm -hmm. we also made experiments with the, um, with the palladium catalyst alone, so like that we knew it was reactive. So the you know like you measure the absorbance is it being reactive, and we knew that it it would do something. Mm. So the thing was, we had a polymer, but then how do you prove that you did not create an olefin and an an acrylate separately? That you have not a mixture of two homopolymers? How do you prove that they are connected? So we 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 knew that we, you know, we had to first um, prove that we had a block of polymer and we started a collaboration with Dow. So like Dow has a very, um, very nice facility in, in Freeport and they have cryo NMRs, you know, like we wanted to see basically that carbon, you know, what yeah. connects yeah. basically the, um, the one carbon which comes in from the methyl acrylate and then um, polymerizes to. Mm -hmm. But then we realized we cannot find that carbon. We have to make a trick. So then we started to capture this radical which is um which is generated um through the light because what you so like there's also a lot of precedent in the literature. So when you actually shine light on a labile metal carbon bond it it creates a car, um, a radical on the metal, uh, on the metal, and a carbon on the, uh, and, and a radical on the polymer chain or the carbon. Mm. So, so in the in the literature, we found several examples that 
they could manage to cleave this metal carbon bond, but the vertical ended up always at the wrong place. It was not on the on the polymer chain. So we had to prove that our radical is on the uh, polyolefin chain. Mm. And therefore, we, we integrated after we um, we added our methyl acrylate, we added also a tempo molecule. This is yeah. a stable radical. So we captured it basically for analytical purposes. So, but I have to say that um, what we found out in our mechanistic investigations, which took us basically two years. So I went to a Gordon conference and presented my new paper and I got completely like shredded, you know, because they had so many questions. And of course we had Dozy NMR and I had already, you know, data from uh, Dao, which proved um, very confidently that we had blocked with polymers. Mm. Have a segment of the olefin in the radical, but they said, okay, how on earth are you doing this? I mean, this makes no sense. And it's like, you know, you should create other radicals here and are you sure and whatever. So, and all these questions, they were so important because they're structured basically how we planned our mechanistic study. Because you can always say, okay, we do a mechanistic study, but mm. how, where do you start? So, and we realized we have to investigate very, very in much in detail what is happening with that chelate. You know, like we isolated the chelate. Then we found out, you know, from the complex itself with, with the polymer attached. And then we found out we cannot cleave it with the light alone. That it has to be the ancillary ligand present. And that was magic. So when you start with a Bocard-type catalyst, you have always an ancillary ligand. This is a acetonitrile, one equivalent. Okay, yep. And you do not have that. It's not going to work. It's like a stone. The other, the chelate is like totally stable. Hmm. However, when you have, you know, I had an, another student, like Lusheng was this, uh, Lusheng Leo, the graduate this year, he made a um, distorted um palladium catalyst. So when it's sterically demanding and when the chelate, of course the chelate can be six members, five members, four members, and it goes to, you know, different, uh, so it's an, it's an equilibrium and it finds this equilibrium. Sometimes the equilibrium is in the four and, and five member ring state. Then you don't ancillary ligand, but it's always better to have it. So it helps to open the, key, the chelate and then it is easy to cleave the metal carbon bond. You can chop it then with the light. And this we realized basically after we were doing our mechanistic study. And then we also found why other people failed or like when that, what they, what was wrong in their mechanism. Mm. So it, it had been tried before many, many times or, um, by uh, two, by, by two uh, research groups, but they always could, they could not place the radical at the, Polyolefin, or um, the radical polymerization was too fast. You know, there are many, many different factors. So, um, but yeah, I can I can say that this was, or, or like when we started this, it was very interesting for us to to learn about how the how the Bucard catalyst actually reacts, and that it was the ideal catalyst for us to. 
to start that project. You know, mm. like otherwise, it would have not have worked when we would have not had the properties of that specific yeah. population. Now, do you foresee like what are what are some of the applications of these like die block copolymers? Like what, um, yeah. what is special about? Well, first of all, it's unprecedented that you can do this in one pot, right? So, like you mm-hmm. you build out your hexene polymer. Mm-hmm. Then you introduce a new radical mechanism. Now you're able to introduce acrylate. So that's already that was already unprecedented, right? Like no one had done that before, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So that's already unprecedented in the literature. What are like what are some of the applications of this new polymer, basically? I guess. Yes. So so like what we want to um, try to do is like bring in as many different types of or like combine. So there's an entire area of like what is called functionalized or like function yeah um yeah functionalized poly polyolefins of yeah polyolefins. So when you have different functions, so it was also very limited what monomer families you can combine with polyolefins. So like there were only a limited amount of acrylates in general. So what we could demo what we could show is first of all the Polyolefin um, insertion polymerization was living. So this is kind of important. So you can, um, you have also, there can be semi-crystalline. So you have, you can have all kinds of polyolefins also be, uh, be broadened to polyethylene. Mm-hmm. So and it's also not, you can make short um, polyolefins and long polyolefins. And then with the free radical polymerization, um, we we showed that we can polymerize, you know, like the acrylate and methylmethacrylate, where we have been limited to were the amide and the star and styrene. So you know, you want to basically combine your polyolefin with the broadest scope of other monomer families to mm. give um, a certain application. So what you could do then is you can self-assemble these. Um, these polyolefins. You can make nanostructures from these, and you can bring these nanostructures into commodity plastic. Yeah. So there is a theory out there um, that when you increase the heterogeneity, well, when you make this your commodity plastic not as even, or when you mix, you blend it with other things together, but the blend has to be in a way that the familiar part sticks out. So you can think about bringing a micelle of polymers into a polymer blend, and then you can change the entire properties of the plastic. Mm. So in so you don't have to develop another plastic anymore. You know, plastics are wonderful materials because they can do a broad range of different properties, but maybe you, you think about, okay, I don't develop a new catalyst. I, um, just bring in an additive, and you do not need a whole lot of this um, these heterogeneous uh, structures. Mm-hmm. You you bring this in and have then a, a, a toughening or a, um, a weakening or like make it just create different types of properties. Mm-hmm. Then of course you can think about um, um, how can you use the um, the more sturdy st- structure or like the more sturdy properties of ethylene, polyethylene um, in terms of in combining this with 
group which you can integrate with the polar monomer. So mm -hmm. like this is our we are very weird sentence. But for example, for energy applications, when you want to build a new dielectric material, mm -hmm. so here we go now into the area of energy harvesting, energy storage, um, energy conversion. So since uh, nobody, so we want now to replace the fossil fuels and we want to uh, create more um, better batteries. Mm -hmm. Like we want to use or like generate more energy out of uh, in, um, in an electrical way. But then we need uh, better batteries or other batteries where we don't um, use so much metal. So um, but when you, I mean, I'm not a, a, basically a, a battery expert, but there are many different aspects of a, how you can work on a battery to make it more effective. Mm. And one um, issue is that you can work on a better membrane or a better um, dielectric exchange. And then you have to transport charges. So you can now think of how can we... Um, get a, a more sturdy material, you know, with the better, higher TG, you know, what does not break down as easily as an acrylate maybe, or like another material. How can we make materials where they are sturdy, which a polyolefin definitely is, but on the other hand, how can we integrate um, polar groups or charge groups into the olefin yeah. in very segmented region that we do not affect the self-assembly of that material. So, or, for recycling, you take just your polar group, whatever this is, and mix it together with a polyolefin. Mm. So this you can use for, for recycling. So I believe that you can use it for um, many different applications where, where we don't even know what what is what we can use it for because nobody had done this molecule before. You know, right. this is what we do right now. We just explore what we can do. Yeah. So where where what are what's kind of the state of the research right now? Like where are the shortcomings and like where is the future directions? Because I think I think you mentioned it's limited to butyl acrylate or methyl acrylate. I'm sorry, is yeah, the so, polar yeah. monomer? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like we are now in the basically third generation of this uh, millerad, what we call it. Mm -hmm. So after that we. We made um, what we call millerad functionalization. So we we used that experience, uh, uh, what we had with the radical capturing with the um, tempo molecules. We used that to to um, start a controlled radical polymerization. So you can functionalize these um, uh, tempo molecules with uh, controlled radical polymerization starters initiators. And then we could, you know, do ATRP, we could do RAF, we could do NMP, and then we could, you know, like then we had a living polyethylene and also a living um, um, acrylate block. So and then we could polymerize a styrene, uh, we could polymerize methylmethacrylate, polyacrylamide, um, mm. um, um, and also we could create multi-blocks, you know, like you can then, uh, you know, you can make AB, ABA, these are very interesting um, structures. So, and um, my, uh, the last project we had, or like, um, it is not Milrad related, but it came out of Milrad. Um, so we realized also when we work with radicals, this is this is tricky. You know, like mm -hmm. you have to work with, um, you have to work with light, you have to have radicals. And now we have a process what we call PACE. And this was developed um, um, 
by one of my graduate students. This was developed by Jen, by Jen Dow. And um, what she basically learned, or like during um, her time in my lab, so she realized that when you have a, a chelate, you know, when you have a um, broca type um, chelate, but when it's an active ester, that you can place on um, on a polyolefin one active ester group. I mean, it is it's always at the end of the end of the branches, mm -hmm. but it is one specific one. But you have it as a head group. You know, you don't post functionalize it. You have it as a head group. So what she did with this is, um, um, so you polymerize just you start to polymerize with a modified diamine um, broca type catalyst, which carries this uh, chelate, but it turns into a um, in, into an active ester. You can take then this active ester and then exchange for all sorts of things. You know, like you can exchange it for a again a um, um, an initiator for ring opening polymerization. So it, and you so you don't have to do milrite anymore. Yeah, so this is yeah. now in uh, a, a very interesting method for us because you can um, with an semi-telekilic, you know, you can then uh, uh, attach it to different things. So we, we, we now go more into the direction of making different architectures and use that chemistry to ex explore this chemistry in, um, in, in different ways. Mm -hmm. What we also work on is like replacing the um, palladium catalyst with a nickel catalyst. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and this is, um, of course, a totally different volume. What I did not realize is when you change the metal, you change the entire everything. You have to start from scratch again. So this is um, because when we talk to industry, they they like our uh, approach in chemistry, but um, they did not like the um, palladium very much. Although you don't need much of that polymer, as you say, it's still very good. But yeah, um, I just want to real quick uh, just about that because yes. one of the things I was gonna ask about is the kind of be cynical here is that well you're using palladium right and so it's like mm -hmm. uh, the obvious the obvious thing is to say is well palladium for those who don't know palladium is a very expensive transition metal especially yeah. especially like if you really were to bring this to industry scale palladium is not a very efficient way to do this at all um mm -hmm. see so yeah, i was just going to ask about like have you looked at different transition metals um because nickel is much more um I assume it's much cheaper. I actually don't know the price difference. Yes. Much cheaper. Yeah. And it's also much more yes. uh, earth abundant, I think. Mm -hmm. yes, so exactly. it would be much more feasible to do it with nickel instead of palladium. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and this was, uh, I mean, we knew this from very early on. And we were always asked, you know, like, why don't you, you know, switch to uh, nickel? Of course, yes, right. Um, but you have to have, first a suitable, suitable com complex available. And um, yeah, so... Um, I, I, I think we, we got it now, um, we, we have now a process which is working, and um, but it, is, it took us again like two, two years or maybe three years, we started this um, yeah, almost three years ago, mm -hmm. and yeah, two and a half years ago, and um, so like we have now some uh, success, and uh, yeah, we, we just want to develop this further that we can basically can show that milrite is possible, or okay, that you can make block of polymers as good as you can do um, uh, with the palladium catalyst, you can do this also with the nickel catalyst. Yeah. So, so this would be really nice, you know? And, um, but I have to say that 
the graduate students I have, you know, like these are the ultimate drivers because they become real experts. And then I would have not had the people I had, nothing would be would be there. So I, yeah. I really have to, to thank a lot of my uh, I mean all of this is basically built on the um, on the students who make it or like get very passionate about it and think deeply about it. Yeah. Or like what do we really need? And um and yeah, so like I've I've been fortunate that I could work with, with people who really um think uh, think deeply. I mean you have students who are weaker and stronger, but when you have two people or like yeah, two people who just can uh, shape a lab or like can teach other people as well or like talk interestingly about uh, their research and um are excited about it, you know. And of and of course, um, yeah, this is really important that they get inspired, that they think further. You know, this is this is this is the key. I mean, yeah, just a general comment about like the graduate life in general. Like, um, I mean, yeah, we're just some kids just doing. I mean, a lot of this groundbreaking stuff that is going on in academia is just done by some kids. Like, we're just some mm -hmm. kids that are just in the lab yes. doing stuff that we we really like, and yeah, that's where a lot yes, of this stuff is happening. Exactly, and um, and you know, like usually, it it um, it comes to when they discuss things under uh, amongst themselves when they read something. I mean, uh, me as me as, as a professor, I can make give a direction or can I can encourage, and I read also something. But it is usually when they think about what or like, you know, I can emphasize where the problem is, and then they think about it. But it is. It is. Um, I mean, it's fascinating to me how um, how that how these students also change during mm -hmm. during the time. You know, they they are at the beginning a little bit insecure, and you know they're you know they have to find their their uh, you know their project, and it it then suddenly it takes shape because they get passionate about one specific thing, and then they dig into it. Yeah, into it. And this is this is fascinating to see. And when they are really after four years, then you feel they are done. I mean, I cannot do anything for them anymore. They have done. They have experienced everything. They know how to write a paper. They yeah. know how to do the research. And then they are really, they are really, really done, right? Yeah. And um, and I have to say that the field, um, you know, the polymer field, um, they, you can do so much with it. You know, like they work in uh, different sectors, like in in um in as a patent attorney in industry in college in um in um in consulting I mean you can do so much with this but it is very applied because polymers are everywhere I mean really, yeah seriously. And yeah just as just yeah. as we like wrap up here the yeah. the one thing the one downfall I'd say is especially like in you know high school chemistry even like undergrad I mean how little we talk about polymers. Mm -hmm. uh, in general chemistry i think there needs yes. to be more of it i think yes. i mean I, yes. I don't really have a answer for that but yes. how yes. how much polymers are in our day-to-day -day lives and we don't really talk about it um mm -hmm. in early on in people's education i think is yes. honestly yes. kind of a crime so i don't know if you if you like want to speak to that a little bit because yes. you are in, so, so involved in mm -hmm. the polymer chemistry yeah, like as an undergraduate, I mean, all what you uh, want to go to is your organic chemistry class, you know. But um, um, 
at the moment, actually, the ECF requires that in undergraduate research, there have to be taught some polymer chemistry. Mm. How it looks like is like that there is one or two classes in at the end of the organic chemistry um, section where they talk about polymers. So yeah. I can really say that some organic chemists don't don't think actually that polymer chemistry is engineering. It is not. Mm. And it is a an absolute fascinating field and it is too important to be um, not taught at the undergraduate level. And I have to say that um, in general, um, we are suffering right now that um, we do not have enough um, graduate students in, in, in chemistry because this entire field is, well, specifically also in polymer chemistry because it's not advertised in a way that it's attractive for, for this generation of uh, people because polymers yeah. are plastics and these are, these are kind of like badly labeled. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, it's not the fault of the plastic that it's cheap and so successful. It has like replaced many traditional materials and it's, um, and it's cheaper. And we just have to wisely guide, um, we just have to wisely um, produce um, good materials out of these polymers, you know, and uh, and then what we do with plastic bags and plastic bottles, this this we can really 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 think think about a little bit further that that we make the consumables out of other materials, yeah, not as um, environmentally um, dependent. Yeah, I was gonna say like, and to any student that like feels like chemistry is not their thing, like, well. Like, don't get bogged down on the organic, hard, hard organic stuff. Like, because, go reach yes, out, exactly. go reach yes. out to a, a polymer chemist, go reach out to, yes. because yes, exactly. there's so much, there's so much yeah. chemistry is very broad. And, you know, if you're not, if you're not successful in your gen chem or you're not successful in, in yes. organic, and you can definitely test this, like wanting to go to med school and just transitioning to chemistry, like. There is opportunity for chemistry, I think, for everyone. Um, yes. So, so. Because what, why I stayed in chemistry is because um, it is some some things don't need a ten step synthesis. You know, like yeah. you, you can um, you can make lots of materials with like one reaction, and you have something which you can use. You can use. So it's like it has a materials application. You know, it's. And this fascinated me. Mm -hmm. And this is something what is not uh, taught a lot in, in undergraduate. And this is kind of an area which is completely underdeveloped, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. So hopefully, and then, you know, hopefully in the years to come, we can definitely start to change that perception. But Professor yes. Arthur, I want to thank you so much for your time. Okay. I greatly okay. appreciate so it. It was fun to talk to you. Yeah. And, and hopefully uh, uh, next couple of years, we'll have you back on and we'll see if uh, these uh, these results you know, start yeah. to come in and change. So thank you again to okay. all the listeners out there and uh, y'all see you on the next episode. Okay. Thank you.